Oh, and thank you, Gemma. That's better, isn't it? Lovely. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here. It seems like a while, but, uh, but good to be here today. Um, in spite of the weather this morning, it's actually been really good too, hasn't it, in these last few weeks, to have the occasional taste of spring. It's been a long uh, and wet winter. I, I wonder, what do you find hardest about winter? Is it the cold? Is it the wet? Is it the dark? For me, it, it's the darkness that gets to me. You know, those days when it's just so gloomy all day, it never really gets light. I'm tempted sometimes to try one of those sad lamps, seasonal affective disorder lamps, just to boost the natural light. Because, well, human beings don't tend to flourish in the dark. Some of you may have seen reports in the news uh, not so long ago that divers in the Antarctic have been uh, finding the sunken wreck of Shackleton's ship, the Endurance. Back in 1904, I think before any of us were born, Ernest Shackleton set out on an expedition to cross the Antarctic. But Endurance got stuck in the polar ice. And John, you'll be pleased to know that this was long before mobile phones, long before anything like GPS. So no one knew where they were or what was happening to them. Hard to imagine these days, but that was so. They were utterly isolated and on their own. So Shackleton and the crew camped on the ice for 10 months, hoping, until the ship was finally crushed by the ice and sank. And they started their epic trek to safety. The fact that all 28 men made it back home safely is often cited as an amazing feat of leadership. But do you know what Shackleton identified as the greatest threat to them through those long polar days? It wasn't the cold. It wasn't the lack of food, nor the polar bears that came out to attack them. No, it was the darkness. Those long polar winter days when it's 24-7 darkness, when it literally never got light. And in what felt like interminable darkness, his biggest challenge was keeping himself and all his crew members from sinking into depression and despair. And you know, just thinking about all that darkness feels too much to cope with, doesn't it? And we know that there are so many kinds of darkness that can cast shadows over our world and over our lives. But in the midst of all the darkness, this morning we hear the words of Jesus, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But what does it mean to say that Jesus is the light of the world? What difference does it actually make for life, for us, for the world? How does it work? Some years ago, uh, we drove up to the west of Scotland on holiday. And after a long drive, we arrived on the Saturday and found a cottage we'd booked for a week, which uh, was meant to have a glorious view 
But yes, you're with me, aren't you? When we arrived, all we could see was thick scotch mist, fog. And the next day was Sunday, and we drove into Oban and went to church. And it was still thick mist, what they call in that part of the world a really dreek day. After church, the mist was still thick, so we went for a coffee in the Harborside Cafe. But we had to take the Harborside bit utterly on trust, because, well, you couldn't see any harbour. But then as we were having our coffee and our hot chocolate and all the things you have to keep the kids happy, you know, suddenly this enormous Caledonian muckbrain ferry appeared out of the gloom, this huge ship towering over us, was almost close enough to touch. So there must have been water there somewhere. And as the sun started to push back the mist, you could begin to see the harbour. And as the power of the sun's light continued to burn away the gloom, it revealed this amazing panorama. Those of you who've been to that part of the world can picture it. Not just of harbour, but of hills and islands, one behind the other, stretching out to this vast horizon. That's the difference that light makes. It allows us to see what's there. It makes things visible. It brings things out into the open. And that's what Jesus, the light of the world, does. That in the light of Jesus, the first thing we see is what God really is like. Jesus is God's self-revelation to the world. No one has ever seen God, we've just heard, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Jesus, the light of the world, cuts through all of our mixed up human ideas about what God's like, and it shows us what God is really like. Jesus is, as one little girl put it, God with skin on, God with a human face. As the Apostle Paul puts it, we see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Jesus is God's supreme revelation of what God is like and of how God is at work in his world. And it's challenging, and sometimes it's shocking stuff. Because what we see is a God whose glory is revealed on a cross. A God who plunges into the darkness, into the messiness and the confusion of life. A God who plunges into sin and evil and even into death. Who plunges into the darkness and who defies and defeats the darkness. But how does God defeat the darkness? God defeats the darkness by the power of his love, by the power of his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy. And if we're being honest, that's not how we expect battles to be won, is it? It is actually quite breathtaking. And yes, it is shocking. But you know, perhaps even more shocking is that God calls us to do the same, 
to live the way Jesus lived. Because if the first thing we see in the light of Jesus is what God's like, then the second thing we see is what an authentic, fully alive human life is like. Some of you may have heard of Shane Claiborne, now an aging, uh, radical young man. Among other things, he's written a book called The Irresistible Revolution, Living as an Ordinary Radical Follower of Jesus Christ. And in his book, there's a chapter which describes his conversion to Christ, and it's entitled, Jesus Wrecked My Life. And this is what he says. I know there are people out there who say, my life was such a mess. I was drinking, partying, sleeping around, and then I met Jesus, and my whole life came together. God bless those people, he says, but me... I had it all together. I was cool. And then I met Jesus, and Jesus wrecked my life. The more I read the gospel, the more it messed me up, turning everything I believed in, valued, hoped for, upside down. I am still recovering from my conversion. It's not what you expect, is it? What on earth does he mean? when he says, Jesus wrecked my life. Well, part of what he's saying is that when Jesus shone the light of his love into his life, it made it impossible for him to keep on living just like everybody else in his rich, materialistic, individualist, consumerist, competitive kind of society. Jesus challenged and exposed the emptiness of that way of living. And Shane Claiborne realized that he couldn't go on living that kind of life. He didn't want to. But Jesus didn't just show him the emptiness of that way of living. He also revealed a new and a better way of living, a new and a better way of living that puts serving God and serving others, loving God and loving others, front and center in all we do and in how we do it. A new and a better way of living, that's actually the way we human beings were designed to live. In the light of Jesus, we see what God's like, and in the light of Jesus, we see what a fully alive human life is like. But you know, <laughs> It's both really attractive, isn't it? But it's also really risky. And how do we know it works? Well, we know it works by doing it. We discover what a fully alive human life is like as we learn to follow step by step the one who says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When I was young, which was even before John, I think, uh, like lots of people at, at parties and things, we'd play a game called Follow My Leader. Do you still play Follow My Leader? If you don't play it, you probably know how it goes. 
because basically, when you play follow my leader, what do you do? You follow the leader, which means you do what the leader does. And when it comes to the life of, that Jesus offers us, we're simply called to follow the leader. You see, we experience life in all its fullness, not by believing things about Jesus, but by following in the footsteps of Jesus. Living life in the ordinary as well as the extraordinary. Living our lives day by day the Jesus way. And living the Jesus way means looking at people through Jesus' eyes, looking at people with God's merciful love. Living the Jesus way means taking the weapons of grace and mercy and forgiveness, and they are weapons, just very different weapons. Picking up those weapons and, and speaking out against injustice, speaking up on behalf of those who have no voices, overcoming in every situation evil with good, radically reorientating our lives towards following Jesus, step by step by step. It's uh, a truism to say that the longest journey begins with the first step, but it's still true. And if you are here this morning and you've never taken that first step in following Jesus, maybe you've thought about it for a long time but never actually taken a first step in following Jesus, then this morning is an opportunity simply to do that. Quietly in your heart to say yes to Jesus. I want to follow you. And then before you leave this morning, telling somebody else here what you've done. But I would just say to you who've been thinking a long time, that the longer you leave it, the harder it becomes. The journey begins with the first step, but it doesn't end there, does it? Uh, today is, London, is the London Marathon. I'm not envying them in the rain. Uh, do you know anybody who's running? Has anybody from here got anyone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, before we moved to Wales for a few years, I was the minister at Blackheath and Charlton Baptist Church. And if you've ever run the London Marathon or know the route, uh, you will know that on two of the routes that come up from Greenwich Park, Blackheath and Charlton Baptist Church is at the one mile arch of the marathon. So when it came to the day of the marathon, we gave up any idea of holding a morning service. But on that Sunday, every year, church members were out there in front of the church with music, with bacon butties for the crowd, cheering the runners on. And you know, I came to realize it was a really important place to cheer the runners on because you could see it in their faces. You could see some of them panicking, like I know I would be, as they came through that one mile arch thinking, I've only done a mile and I'm exhausted already. You know? <laughs> but we know that following Jesus is actually more a marathon than it is a sprint. It's a journey that lasts a whole lifetime and beyond a journey in which there is always the next step. The pastor and theologian Eugene Peterson, who lots of you will know from his message, translation of the Bible, 
Uh, Eugene Peterson died last year, aged 85, after he reckoned 81 years of following Jesus. As well as the message translation, he wrote a number of books, including this one, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And that's what we're called to do. A journey that follows Jesus step by step into every area of our lives, into our work lives and our family lives, our lives in the community, and yes, even in our politics, being willing to follow Jesus into the messiness and confusion of this world, step by step. Last Wednesday, you may have seen reports in the news of Russian ships sighted around the wind farms and the oil fields in the North Sea. Ships that are disguised as fishing trawlers and research vessels, but they carry underwater surveillance equipment. And the fear is that they're mapping key sites so that if the conflict in the Ukraine escalates, they can uh, exercise sabotage on, on our British energy supply. Last winter, you may remember the fear that the lights might go out due to interruptions in the supply of gas and electricity because of what was happening in Ukraine. But the idea of the lights going out across Europe is chilling. For a generation, for those of you who know your history, it stirs frightening memories. But the reality is that the darkness is always lurking. We live in a dark and a dangerous world. But, but two weeks ago, something happened, didn't it? Cast your mind back two weeks. What were we celebrating two weeks today? Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday. And what happened on Easter Day? Go on, you know, don't you? Yes. On Good Friday, Jesus experienced the worst that the powers of darkness could do. And it looked as if the darkness had won. And through that long Friday night and what must have felt like an interminably dark Easter Saturday, it was so dark and so cold and so hopeless. Then, on Easter Sunday, as God raised Jesus from the dead, the light pierced the darkness. It ripped it apart. And in the light of Easter morning, we see that nothing can defeat the power of God's love. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, if I was in London, this would be my fourth hallelujah. It's worth a hallelujah, isn't it? In the light of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that goodness is stronger than evil, that love is stronger than hate, that light is stronger than darkness, that life is stronger than death. And that victory is ours through him who has loved us. And the day is coming when the light of God's glory and love will swallow up death and darkness forever. Oh yes, prisoners of the darkness, listen. Walls are tumbling down. But this hope isn't just for us. It's 
for the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And how this world needs to know the hope and the love that Jesus brings. I'm going to go off script for a minute, which should wake you up, but don't worry too much. Um, yesterday was the 30th anniversary of the death of Stephen Lawrence. It was also Earth Day. Last Friday, I was up in London uh, for the day with um, a group that organized by people like Tear Fund, BMS World Mission, Christian Aid. Uh, it, it, and they had organized as part of the big one uh, effort to wake us up to the climate crisis in the world. Um, uh, and they had organized a service of prayer at St. John's Waterloo and then a pilgrimage, uh, a prayer walk from St. John's Waterloo to Westminster, I have to say via the Shell Building. But, um, you know, and, and the thing about Friday for me, uh, and it's the incidental conversations that, that, that you pick up, isn't it? The thing that I was so, that, that was so impressed on me, that God, I think, was showing me really on Friday, was that we don't have to tell the world, we don't have to tell people that we're in a mess, that we're on a road going fast to nowhere, you know, we're going to hell in a handcart, whatever image you want. What people desperately need to hear is that there is hope. My brothers and my sisters, we are people of hope. We are those who know the light of the world that is in Jesus. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. I will lead them through the confusion and the darkness. They will have the light of life. My brothers and my sisters, how this world needs to know the hope and the love that Jesus brings. So let's get out there and shine. Shine with the light and the love and the hope of Christ for the sake of this world that Jesus loves so much. This morning, let us hear the call that comes from the very heart of God to get up and to follow and to shine. Lord, you know that we long to shine with your life. Please take our longing and fill it with your spirit. Let's just take a few moments as we draw to a close to sit quietly as John's been encouraging us in the presence of the risen Jesus, the one whose resurrection we celebrated, who stands here in our midst. And in the quietness, knowing that we too are so often battered by the darkness, we open our lives to welcome and to receive the warmth of God's light, God's love, God's comfort, God's presence, God's forgiveness, the strength 
of the light in which we're held. And as we welcome the light of Christ afresh for ourselves, perhaps Jesus is asking us to take a next step. Perhaps that first step, perhaps that step towards baptism, Perhaps a step that's about mending a relationship, wrestling with unforgiveness in our own lives. Or maybe taking a step out of a place that's just become a bit too comfortable. Lord, as we thank you for the power of the hope that your light brings. So we thank you that we can come together simply to surrender all that we are, all that we have, and just where we are into your hands. Take us, Lord, and use us, and lead us ever deeper into the life in all its fullness that you have for us and for all. And we bless you that you are the God who is at work in your world as we place our trust in you. We bless you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.